recently I planted a flowering crab tree. No, no, crab apple tree. That's it. You have to get all the words in there, otherwise it sounds really odd. Uh, flowering crab apple in the back where we can uh, see it from, uh, from our bedroom. And uh, planted a lilac bush we got from Mandy. Mandy and Michael are redoing some of their landscaping and ripped out a lilac bush. Now ripped it out. They, they removed it because they knew that we wanted it and another friend wanted it. So uh, I planted that out there. We planted some arborvitas. And uh, so what I do when I'm planting these things is I go and I... I dig a hole in the clay that surrounds our house because the builder thought clay was a good thing to surround the house with, take all, all the good dirt and move that somewhere else, and then you put in this clay, but then you pack it down by driving all the equipment and cement trucks and stuff over it, and then the sun shines on it, and it's a, a little bit like a brick yard. So not that I'm bitter about that or anything, mind you. So I went out with my pickaxe, True story. I'm not embellishing that. I went out there with my pickaxe and uh, uh, and shovels, and I bought a few bags of of dirt. Really annoys me to have to pay for dirt. <laughs> Whose do they think that was to begin with? It isn't theirs, anyway. And that's a, just another sermon. Um, but the uh, so I, I bought these you know bags of dirt and peat moss. Interesting thing about the peat moss, some of you are already aware of this. With the bags of dirt, you slit the top open and, you know, I just dump them in the wheelbarrow. And with the peat moss, um, it's compressed. All you have to do is slit that bag open and it comes right out of there, you know. It's, uh, I, I, bought, I bought, I forget how many bags of dirt, eight bags of dirt or something like that. I bought one bag of peat moss and I still have over half of it. Um, you know, but anyway, I, uh, so I mix that all together and uh, I dig this hole and they tell you twice as big as the root ball. That's because they're not digging in the clay. That's why they tell you that. But at any rate, uh, I really want this, uh, I want these trees to make it. So I did what they told me and I did learn, um, after doing this, uh, planting some stuff out there another time, uh, I have some shoes with, uh, it's not really a steel sole anymore, you know, but it, it's so nails don't poke through it. I wear them when I'm working in the garage and working on stuff. So if I step on something, you know, the nails aren't supposed to be able to poke through it. And I wear those because jumping on the shovel on the clay is tons of fun as well. Um, and so I don't know why I brought that part up. But at any rate, uh, you know, I, I was using the shovel to measure and I dig this hole and it's getting bigger and bigger, you know, and. Uh, so I mixed together the dirt and, and peat moss and ran up to get more dirt. Uh, and I, I put it in a hole and I put that around there because I want the roots to be able to have a chance to grow and to start growing. And I kind of pat it down a little bit because um, I, want, I want this plant to be firm. I want these things to be firmly planted in there. I want them to be solid. I don't want them to blow over in the wind or when my grandsons run by them and use them as what helps them turn the corner. Uh, I I want them to be solid in the ground, firmly planted, and that takes work. It takes work. It takes effort. 
And it takes time, not just to dig the hole. It's over a course of time that, you know, that these things begin to take root. Uh, that's a good picture for us of what it means to be planted firmly in God. We were all transplanted. Do you realize that? We were all transplanted from a, a life of sin and a life without God. We were transplanted into a life with God. Now, some younger and some older, uh, you know, these plants I got were already started. Uh, we also have a tree in the backyard that I planted that was started. Uh, Caleb got it when he was in third grade. They give you, uh, at the schools, they give you a stick and call it a tree and say, plant this in your yard. And that thing was about, only about this much of it was sticking out of the ground, but we planted it in the ground. Uh, and in two years, that thing is now over five feet tall. Um, you know, it is it seems to be firmly in there. It takes time. But some of us are planted as that little stick, you know, because we came to Christ at an early age. Others are planted, you know, as as these, uh, you know, as this flowering crab, which is uh, taller than me already. You know, but the um, we are we don't start out, you know, we don't start out that way. We come into a relationship with God. And we grow, you know, we, and get firm in that over a course of time. You know, we grow to be, to be more and more what he has called us to be. Um, keep those thoughts in mind. We're going to pray. We're going to get into our passage today, which is where all these thoughts come from. Father, thank you for your uh, gift to us of, of life and of inviting us into your family, of helping us and allowing us to be yours uh, thank you for the ministry of the Spirit as we, as we think, and really the, the, this Pentecost Sunday, uh, um, the ministry of the Spirit is so vitally important to us to be able to, be, to grow, to be firmly planted, to be able to have that relationship with you that we, need to, that we need, that we need in this life, not just for when we leave, but in this life here and now. Uh, teach us uh, what, more of what it means to be yours, to be firmly planted in you and with you. And connected in a way that we won't be shaken, ripped out, or uh, tipped over even. So uh, help us as we look into your word, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to be in the book of Jude, so turn to Jude, if you will. It's in, uh, it's in, it is the one just before Revelation. So if you get to the back of the book and back up one book, uh, you'll be in Jude. Jude only has one chapter. We're going to start in verse 1. We're not going to cover the whole thing. Last couple of weeks we covered short books in the whole, the whole book in the service. We're not going to do that today. We're going to just hit these first four verses. Uh, if you're using a pew Bible, you see it's page 1124. We're going to read the first two verses, look at those, and we're going to pick up uh, verse 3 and 4 and look at those. So that's how we're going to approach that this morning. Verse 1, the book of Jude, verse 1. Jude a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are the called, loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, it just starts out with Jude there. Jude is he's one of Jesus' brothers in Mark chapter 6. 
um, when some of them are listening to Jesus and they're trying to, you know, pick out guy like, don't we know this guy? I mean, isn't this the guy we've seen before? They say, isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. I remember um, a, a lady that was, her husband started coming to our church in Riverdale. And... Um, then after a while she you know we met her and she started she would come once in a while uh, and she was raised um, roman catholic as as i was and she was in a bible started had started reading her bible and got to this verse and she said to me she said hey you know pastor what what what's this because in the catholic um the catholic religion uh, Jesus didn't have any brothers or sisters. Uh, and she said, you know, this verse here says that Jesus had brothers and sisters. She said, did he? I said, well, what's it say? She says, well, I said he had brothers and sisters. I said, well, and I'd say he had brothers and sisters. You know, and we look at this now when we look at it, we see um, where it says Judas. Uh, Judas is the the Greek, the Greek pronunciation, if you will, the, 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 the Greek uh, of, um, of Joshua, which means praise, Hebrew praise. And the English, the English um, translation, if you will, uh, is Jude. Yeah, so when we look at this, you know, we are seeing there that, you know, it, it is, um, what did I say, Joshua? It was Judah. Yeah, Judah. What did I say? Joshua. Not Joshua. He raised Joshua. It's Judah. Uh, you know, it's Judas is Greek. Judah is Hebrew. That means praise. And Jude is the English. A common name. You know, it's a common name. Two of Jesus' uh, disciples were named Judas. In Luke chapter 6, it says, When daylight came, he summoned his disciples. This was after he spent all night in prayer. He summoned his disciples, and he chose 12 of them, also named them apostles. See, this tells us there was a larger group than just the 12. And out of this larger group, he chose these 12 to name apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, uh, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called uh, the Zealot, and Daryl and his other brother, Daryl. Now, only, only some of you are going to get that, and that's okay. Uh, but there's Judas... There's uh, Judas. You can ask me later, you know, and, and I'll explain it to you who are younger than me. Uh, uh, you know, so there, there it is. You know, um, you, you see, there's uh, Judas, the son of James, and then to be distinguished from that is Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So I think you can understand why they why they refer to him as Jude rather than Judas. Uh, you know, I think you, I think we can kind of understand that a little bit. They wanted to differentiate and wanted to make sure we got the right one. Well, it seems Jude came to faith probably after Jesus' death, because while he was while Jesus was walking the earth, his brothers didn't believe in him as the Messiah. When he was when he was um, teaching, it says that his family came. His family came there. You know, suddenly he was speaking to the crowds, and, and his mother brothers. We're standing outside wanting to speak to him. As you look at the other, as you compare the translations, it seems that they kind of wanted to come. And I think one of the, one of the uh, Gospels gives the, 
I don't think, don't think they use the word take control, but in a sense they wanted to, you know, they wanted to step in. They wanted to intervene there. Um, you know, that's about the same. Let's go on to this next one. In John chapter 7, uh, he says, For not even his brothers believed in him. You see, before Jesus was, before Jesus was crucified, before he was resurrected, they didn't believe in him. Uh, they, you know, but after the resurrection, we're told in Acts chapter 1, it says all of these, it talks about who was gathered there, all of these were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So somewhere, somewhere between, you know, the events of, of the Gospels in John 7 and then what we have in, in, in Acts, in the beginning of Acts, somewhere in between there, which is the resurrection, you know, it seems that it was probably the resurrection. Maybe, maybe it was slightly before the resurrection. Maybe it was, you know, at the crucifixion. Maybe it was, I, I don't know, but... Early on, they didn't believe in him. Here now, they're believing in him after the resurrection. And it says, you know, Jude, you know, this is that Jude. We're talking to Jude, the brother of James. James, the only, you know, the only one who was known well enough and widely enough to be to be referred to that way, you know, as, as James. Um, you know, we have now, you know, we have people that you can refer to as one name. You say Elvis, you know, pretty much everyone knows who you're talking about. Uh, Oprah, you know, thing like we have, you know, some people who are widely known uh, enough and known well enough that you know you can refer to them by name. They're not the only. Uh, that's not the only Elvis. You know, Elvis Presley isn't the only one in the world. Oprah Winfrey isn't the only Oprah in the world. Uh, you know, but you can use those. Well, this is how it was with James. You know, uh, he says the brother. You know, the brother of, of James here. Um, James was a Jesus brother. James at this point was already a leader in the church, so he too came to faith in the Lord, and he was already a leader in the church. When they had a when they had a, a little bit of a dispute, when Peter. Uh, when Peter kind of reached out to, you know, the, the, uh, the, the heathen in their mind, the non-Jews, when Cornelius sent for him and he spoke to them, uh, they, some, of the, some of the Jews took a little bit of umbrage. There's a word I didn't, I just, I just wanted to throw that in there. I don't get to use that often, umbrage. I'm going to have to start using that with Ginny. I take umbrage with that. Anyway, um, so they, uh, they got together to discuss this. What about these, what about these guys? Peter shouldn't have been talking to these guys. We all know that. And, uh, and that's what some of them were saying. And some of the others were saying, well, no, you know, it went, and Peter said to them, you know, the Holy Spirit came just as it did on us. You know, this, this is a real thing. Well, so they met together, and it's referred to as the Jerusalem Council, referred to in church history as the Jerusalem Council, the first church council that met. And as they met, then they gave their decision. James was the spokesman for that decision. James, the brother of Jesus, was the leader and spoke up at that point and announced the decision. You know, so it shows us this Jude here is Jesus' brother as well. That's the one, that's the Jude they're talking about here. You know, and he refers to himself, notice how he refers to himself, a slave of Jesus Christ. Some of your translations say bond servant. That's a, that's a good word, that's a good picture, but it doesn't mean as much to us, you see, because we don't have bond servants in our society. We just don't, we, we, 
we don't have that in our society. For them, a bond servant was someone who voluntarily submitted themselves to serve another. You know, they, they gave a willing, a willing service to another over themselves. That they committed themselves, you know, I am, I am going to be here and I'm going to be yours in, this, in essence. Uh, a bond servant, a bond slave, sometimes they were referred to in the Old Testament. You would see that it was uh, when a slave was set free, sometimes they would say, I prefer to, I prefer to continue to be here and serve you. And, um, you know, they, they uh, would put him up against the, the doorpost and they'd take a, a scratch all and just, just poke a hole right through his earlobe. You know, um, all of you with pierced ears, I would say ladies, except it's not just the ladies anymore, is it? But that's another sermon. Uh, the, uh, I got a lot of sermons to go into after this one. Anyway, um, it designated them. You see, it was an outward sign. It was a very clear designation that they were committed to someone, you know, and that they were committed as this bond servant, that they were serving them, that they were giving their life to serve them, to serve uh, this other one, and that's what he's calling himself here, this bond servant, you know, this bond servant, and he has given himself over to Jesus Christ. He has given himself over. Now, if you're going to be firmly planted, if you are going to be firmly planted in Christ Jesus, you need to willingly submit yourself to serve him. Some people are not firmly planted because they have never taken this step. They have never gotten to that place where they willingly submit to serve him. They, you know, and, and they struggle. If you, you know, if you don't get to this spot, you're going to struggle and you're going to struggle. You are going to struggle in every part. You are going to, you are going to struggle in every place that you do not willingly submit yourself to serve him. You want to know where you're not doing that? You're not doing that in the areas where you're struggling, you know, to, to, to you know, want it. This is, you know, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. You know, instead, and to willingly submit yourself to serve him. You need to do that if you're ever going to be firmly planted in him. He refers to him as the called. You know, selected and chosen by God, invited. It's a good theological term. It really is. The problem is, you know, we've used it to divide us rather than um, what it should do. It, it should humble us. It should draw our attention to God. Uh, you know, it's used often in Scripture. Romans chapter 1, it says, he says, I'm, you know, Paul, as he's writing his letter, a slave of, of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle selected chosen by god called as an apostle and singled out for god's good news in a little bit a few verses later he says to all who are in rome loved by god called as saints that word saints is going to come up a little bit here in in these verses too but you know, here you know here there he says called called as saints romans 8:28 one of my i would pick this really if i had to choose one verse as my life verse this would be it because in spite of the fact of what i shared with you before the offering you know that uh, that 60 years ago is when i was you know i was abandoned by my father um, god used that and god used that for good in my life well here you know we all know we know that all things work together for good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. You know, those who are those who are called, selected, chosen by God, according to God's purpose. First Corinthians chapter one it says to God's church at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called 
as saints. There's that, saints again, but called as saints. It, what it indicates to us, what being called indicates to us that God is the one who is reaching out to us. You know, it's not to say it's it's on God's part. It's not on our part. He talks about that in Ephesians. Ephesians 2, verse 8, he says, You are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is God's gift. It is God's doing. It is God reaching out. It is God giving. It is God the one who is doing it. And this is what he says, Romans again, chapter 9. He says, So then it does not depend on human will or effort. Did you get that? It does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. To the Thessalonians, he wrote, But we must always thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God has chosen you. God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are called. He says we're called. The called. He said not only that, but he goes on. He said and loved. Uh, Jude uses triplets a lot. You know, he, he talks about. And we're getting in a couple of these here. You know, he, so we're called and we're loved. He says the word. The word it, it is worded as a continuing state. You know that it is a continuing state of being loved by God. We, he says, you are called and you are being loved by God. You know, you are not only his, you are being loved by God. You are being loved by God right now. We enjoy that state of God's constant love. It is not withdrawn. He does not abandon us. He does not leave us. You know, there is, there is not a time where he stops loving us. One of the things I've told my kids, you know, and, and my grandchildren... I will always love you. Now, any of you who are parents, you understand that. I don't, you know, I don't always agree with the things they do or some of the choices they make, but I do always love them. I will always love them. This is the picture that he has here when he says that we are loved. There is not a time he stops loving us. There are times where he doesn't like what we're doing, where he doesn't agree with some of the choices we've made, but he continues to love us. It indicates God reaching out to us as his choice, not because of us, but because of him. God loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. He loves us because of who he he loves us because he is God. And he is love. And he loves us because of that. It's because of who he is. You know, he gives us a love that we haven't deserved. A love we haven't earned. You know, it's that love which sent Christ to the cross. Because God is love. You know, and and that love reached out to meet our needs while we were still sinners. We were called, we were loved, and he says we are also kept by Jesus Christ. It means carefully watched and guarded. He reaches out to us. He continues to love us. And then he carefully watches and guards us. We are kept. And again, this indicates a continuing action. You are being kept safe by God. 
you are being kept safe by God. And some might say, well, what about this? Well, here's the deal, you know. Scripture is pretty clear that he will. Un- he tells us, you know, as he wrote to the Corinthians, that he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. But with that temptation, will also provide the way of escape that we might be able to bear up under it. So what's he saying there? He's saying pretty much what we see in the Gospels and everything else. Hey, sometimes, sometimes life stinks. Sometimes hard things come in. Sometimes you are tempted, but you know what? With all of those things, with all of those times, God will provide you the way of escape. And sometimes we don't take that way of escape. Sometimes we we don't do that. We turn our back on what God has provided. And sometimes the way of escape is what the rest of that verse says. He has provided a way of escape so that you might be able to bear up under it. He gives us the strength to get up through it. Paul said, I prayed three times that you remove this thorn from my flesh. And God said, ain't happening, dude. He said, my strength is sufficient for you. you know, my power is made perfect in your stinking weakness, dude. I had to do so you know that God didn't say stinking. My, 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 my you know, this is, you know, these are what he's talking about. You know, that we're carefully, we are being kept safe by God, continually watched over he continually always always will get you through whatever you are in sometimes by way of escape sometimes by strengthening you because you know what when you're strengthened is how you are firmly planted god calls us god keeps us john chapter 6 everyone who the father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me i will never cast out he turns his back on no one chapter 10 he says i give them eternal life did you notice i give i give i give them eternal life they will never perish no one can snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand why because he keeps us he carefully watches carefully guards us we are called by god we are loved by god and we are kept by god and it is all by god it is all him, you know, we are, we are his. That is, you know, that, this, that, that's just verse 1. Verse 2, you know, that's the extension of what he talks about. There's this other triplet that he gives us in verse 2 right there. You know, mercy, mercy, peace, and love. Mercy, love, and peace. He said, you know, that's the extension, being called and loved and kept by God. That's the extension of his mercy, his love, his, the, the, the extension of that mercy, the working of his love in our life, and the presence of his peace. That's what, that's what it is, that's, that being called, loved, and kept, that's the extension of his mercy, the working of his love, and the presence of his peace. Last two verses, let's look at those. We've got to get cracking here. Verse 3, dear friend, oh, last two verses for today. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write and exhort you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. For some men who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into promiscuity and denying Jesus Christ, our, mas- our only Master and Lord. 
Notice what he says there. We have all come to the same salvation. He says this salvation that we share. It's all, you know, we've come to that same salvation. We are, we're all headed for hell. We are all headed for hell because of our sin. That's true, even though it offends some people. You know, even though it offends some people, how could a loving God create hell? Hell is there because people rejected God. I think the biggest, I, 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 you know, even for, as I read through Scripture, you know, we think of hell as, as this burning fire. And, and while Scripture is very clear about that, I think the worst part about hell is that separation from God. And on the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think right there is the picture of the worst suffering of hell. Knowing that you've chosen to be forsaken by God. That you have chosen to reject Him. That you have chosen to live without Him. Yeah, and and that, 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 whole, you know, that, that whole picture there. You know, we all have that same salvation. We're headed for hell because of our sin. Instead, Jesus took our punishment on the cross. He's speaking to Jews. You know, to, uh, he's, he's speaking to, well, and Gentiles, but here he's speaking to people who only had the Old Testament. And Isaiah very clearly says, yet he himself bore our sin. He bore our sin. He carried our pains. But, but you know, we in turn regarded him stricken. Uh, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced. You know, he was pierced for our transgressions. Crushed because of our iniquities. He was for our iniquities. Punished for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. See, we are healed by his wounds. Jesus took our punishment on that. We all need forgiveness. We all need for every person who has ever lived, every person who will ever live needs forgiveness. And Jesus died on that cross for all sins. You know, and we're forgiven when we come to him through faith, you know, through faith that, that our sins are forgiven by his death. Now, certainly some have more to be forgiven for than others. That's not the question there. You know, we all need total forgiveness and we all receive forgiveness from God. And notice, you know, he gives us what's talked about in verse two there, that, that mercy, peace and, and love. He gives that to us and he says that you are in this firmly planted and we need to, he says, contend for the faith. The way that's the, you know the way that's worded, we can you know we can almost you know we can almost overlook it. He says, "I found it necessary to write you and exhort you to contend for the faith." That that, that phrase, it's a military picture here, and, and it's 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 you know to contend as a combatant. You know somebody who somebody who is fighting fighting for their life. We need to put forth a sincere effort. We need to put forth a sincere effort. If you want to be firmly planted, you need to put forth a sincere effort. And here's the picture. Like you're fighting for your life. Contend for the faith. As a combatant. 
against those who will want to discourage you, who will want to discredit you, who will want to tear you down, who will want to tear down your faith and weaken your faith. Fight, he says. Fight like a combatant. Contend for that faith. You are, you are fighting. You are fighting you know, for the eternal life of those you are, that you are you know, contending with, as well as those who are listening. Contend for the faith. Put forth that sincere effort. You know, and he, you know, he gives us, here's that, that picture, you know, uh, to, to contend for the faith that were delivered to the saints. I told you that was going to come up again, you know, saints. It, the word means holiness, and it means, you know, to be holy. Set apart ones. Here's where he's talking when he says saints. You know, we think, you know, saints, well, I'm not a saint. Well, if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you have a relationship with Christ, you are a saint. That's how scripture talks about you, that you are holy, that you are set apart. You know, you are set apart for God. It's people devoted to God, set apart for God's use, you see. Those things that were holy in the temple were set apart for God's use. He says you are saints, you are holy, you are set apart, you have that holiness, you are there for God's use. And this is, the, this is the picture that he gives for us here, you know, that you are saints. And he says, once for all, for all people, for all time, you know, there, uh, that salvation is only through Christ. It's not outdated. It's never outdated. It's never outmoded. It's never unimportant. You can never improve on it. You know, it, it is, it's necessary as much today as it ever was because truth doesn't change. Truth, you know, Truth doesn't change. There, let me remind you again. There is no such thing as my truth. You understand that? You, I heard it again this week. You know, and, and some of these yahoos and dingbats. I don't mean that in an offensive way, but these 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 knuckleheads. Um, it, well, this is my truth. No, there is no such thing. It might be your opinion, it might be your observation, it might be your experience, it might be, you know, it, it might be any of those, but look, truth is truth. You guys heard this in college, you'll, you know, those of you who are going to be going to college, you'll, you'll hear that and, and, you know, you'll hear this, you know, our kids, you know, you're hearing it in, in, in school and, uh, you know, you'll hear this even in the workplace and, you know, even as you talk to someone, maybe even someone in your family and they'll say, well, this is my truth. No, there is no such thing. Something's true or it's false. It's true or it's a lie. You know, there, there, there's no such thing. You know, it's true or it's a mistake. And you can have all of those things, you know, but truth is true always. You know, always. You know, and he says it is once for all, for all people. You know, in contrast to the faith delivered to the saints there in verse 4, he talks about those who are deceitfully pretending to be part of the church. Now, when I say church, I'm talking about all of those who have a relationship with Christ. When you have a relationship with Christ, you're part of the church. Now, everybody who's in the building isn't necessarily part of the church. Everyone who says they're a member of such and such a church isn't necessarily part of the church because in some churches you could be a member just because you show up. You know, uh, that, that's not the deal. When I talk about church, I mean all those who have a relationship with Christ. Now, he says here, you know, that some come in by stealth. 
That's how it's worded in Holman Christian Standard. Well, that word means to creep in, you know, to creep in, to, to enter by the side, to sleep, sleep, to slip in secretly. And instead of sticking to the truth of the faith, uh, you know, they, they twist and they pervert the truth of God in such a way to serve their own desires, to accomplish their own ends. Uh, you know, he, he, uh, some people never intend to make a sincere commitment. You know, they never intend to make a sincere commitment to Christ. They simply want to accomplish their own desires. And they are using a feigned relationship with Christ to indulge their own passions. We see it more often than we ever should, you know, and, and even still today, we see some people that, that get into that position and, um, you know, we had our, we had our uh, regional conference this week and, you know, you always hear about some of these things and, you know, even there we heard about you know, there are some who um, get into a position and, and it's just to some embezzle funds. There was an article in a paper about this uh, a priest, a parish priest who was, he embezzled, what did it say? I forget, half a million dollars or a million dollars, whatever it was, from this this parish that he was, you know, that he's overseeing that um, was always struggling for money. Oh, I wonder why. Uh, but again, some people, they get into that position just for that. You know, um, there was, uh, I saw an interview with uh, uh, Brian Houston. He is the, he's the guy who started Hillsong and, um, Hillsong Church out in uh, Australia, and while it's kind of exploded, it, it, when I say that, I mean in a, in a, in a good way, in the sense of uh, starting other churches. But some of those churches have had some trouble. And one in New York, they had to remove the pastor, and it, you know it was on the news and everything. And they had to remove the pastor because uh, he was using that position. And boy, the way they word this sometimes is just unnerving. But it's true to groom people. You know, and he had uh, affairs with, uh, you know, a few, but he's not the only one. But, you know, you, you don't have to be, it doesn't have to be in a religious thing. Here he is talking about a religious thing. We see this in the world, you know, where a boss does, uh, you know, t- takes advantage of, of an, 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 an underling. Underling, is that a good way to put it? Uh, of somebody who works for them. Um, you know, we see that. But here he's talking about the fact that, you know, some do this even in the church, that they get into that position. He says, you know, just so they can use, misuse, really, you know, misuse, you know, their power. And they come in by stealth to accomplish their own ends. They never, some never intend to make a sincere commitment to Christ. This reminds me of Jesus' parable of, of the seeds. Look it up sometime. We don't have time right now. Uh, but, but, you know, we see it today. And he refers to them as ungodly. Jude, Jude refers to them as ungodly. Uh, so he, what he's talking about here is not a true believer who has walked away from the faith. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is they're ungodly. They never had, they didn't have a relationship with Christ and walked away. It says instead what they did, you know, they, they, accept, they, they claimed to accept the truth and they claimed to have a relationship with Christ, but they never actually embraced the faith. They never actually had that salvation that we share. In reality, they did and they continue to reject God. He says, you know, that they were not one of the called, which is proven by their life, which he said is marked by what? Notice what he says there, promiscuity and denying Jesus Christ. See, and they're denying Jesus Christ. 
Holman Christian Standard uses that word promiscuity, some of the other translations. This is one of those where pretty much every translation has their own word. Promiscuity, sensuality, indecent behavior, immorality, those are all good translations. The word means filthiness. Filthiness. You know, that instead, instead they're marked by filthiness, a decadence, immoral freedom. Uh, you know, whatever is disgraceful, it's characterized by moral impurity. And interestingly enough, this, this word also, it includes filthy communication, you know, and, and shameful speaking. That's all included in this word. Jude further describes them as denying Jesus Christ. You know, they would agree that Jesus was a good man. They would say, you know, that he was a good man. Might, might even say that he was a great teacher. Some might even call him a prophet. While Jesus was and is all those things, he is so much more. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it. Uh, he says, I am not trying to... Pre- These were radio broadcasts, and I thought, dude, we need somebody on the radio like this now. Anyway, I'm trying here to prevent anyone uh, saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would, either, he would either be a lunatic on the level of with the man who says that he's a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. He is our, notice what it says there, our only master and Lord. Jude says he is our only master and Lord. If they deny the deity of Jesus You know, they are denying the Jesus of the Bible. If they say, you know, that that he's just a good moral teacher, you know, they're denying the Jesus of Christianity, the only true Jesus. Peter warns about these people. You know, he says, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their unrestrained ways and the way of truth will be blasphemed because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with deceptive words. Paul also warned Timothy about it. He said, but know this difficult times will come in the last days for people will be lovers of self lovers of money boastful proud blasphemers disobedient to parents how did they throw that one in there disobedient to parents ungrateful unholy unloving irreconcilable slanderers without self-control brutal without love for what is good traitors reckless conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. When you see people like that, don't follow them. 
You know, at the beginning of verse 4 there, Jude says that they were designated for this judgment long ago. Now, this doesn't mean, this does not mean that God specifically made them to be, you know, to be deceivers so that he could condemn them. What it means is, is that, just what it says there, they're condemned because they rejected Jesus. He's very clear on that, that they rejected, denied Jesus. You know, and rejecting, rejecting Jesus has steep consequences real consequences a knowledgeable rejection is a very frightening thing it says that you know they willfully turned away from the salvation we all share you know they they stood on their own desires as prominent and they allowed those desires to guide them they denied jesus christ they indulged in promiscuity it says and they did all this under the guise they did all this under the pretext of religion which was simply their excuse to indulge their passions don't be led astray take your stand take your stand and work to be firmly planted willingly you know willingly submit yourself to serve jesus christ contend for the faith reject any teaching that leads to promiscuity sensuality indecent behavior immorality whatever your translation says reject any teaching that leads to that reject any teaching that denies jesus christ as it says here as our only master and lord and then embrace the salvation we share And you will be firmly planted. Let's pray. Father, thank you for those who have given us your word. Those who have gone before us and taught us what it means to be yours. Who continue to reach out and teach. Thank you for the Spirit. The Holy Spirit which comes and and leads and guides us into all truth. Your truth. The only truth. Help us to reject those things which try to twist you into something else. Help us to continue to respond to your love which continues to reach out to us. Help us to follow you as you continue to keep us, as you continue to protect us. Help us to be firmly planted in you, we pray in your name. Amen.